Back to winning ways, new signings through the door, into the playoff spots, and it's all looking a bit rosier this week down at the Hawthorns. We'll look back on that narrow Coventry win, a successful transfer window, and much more on this week's Baggies broadcast. Hello, I'm Johnny Jury. Welcome to this week's Baggies broadcast. As always, I'm alongside Albion's ENS correspondent, Lewis Cox. Coxie, how you doing, pal? Johnny. We've both, we've both got our hoods up. You can tell it's frosty outside. We're a bit cold, but we're raring to go. 21st century Britain. We're both sitting here in our freezing homes with our hoods up <laughs> for a vital layer of warmth. Um, good, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Baggies are, baggies are winning again, aren't they? So... Uh... That's all that matters. That is all that matters indeed. Well, we're going to cover an awful lot in a short space of time, as we always do on the Baggies broadcast. So we'll crack right on. Um, and this week, we're going to start, as we always have been in recent weeks, with Alternative Albion, our so-called Room 101, where we pick on something in the last week that really gets our goat. Basically, it's just my little safe space to vent about something that's happened with Albion over the last week. And we mentioned it. You know, I've picked it up a couple of times during the game in recent weeks. Um, we did that again on Friday. My alternative Albion take, Room 101, is protected goalkeepers. Now, Albion fans might have noticed, a few people noticed this on social media. I sort of tweeted out saying goalkeepers are too protected. Um, and a few Albion fans noticed. There was an incident, I think, the um, the country keeper, um, Ben Wilson, I think his name was, uh, went up for a challenge in the air, like minimal contact, if anything, went down free kick given that Albion would have had a certain goal-scoring opportunity had the, the free kick not been given. They might not have scored from it, but how many times do we see it? If that's like a challenge like in the middle of the park where two players are going up for a header, it's not going to be given. If anything, like the advantage of the goalkeeper, because they can come out and catch the ball, but the amount of times we see like just you sort of breathe on the goalkeeper and he gets a free kick. And like, it's awesome. happened. It's happened a few. It's actually happened a few times with Albion this season. I'm sure over the course of the season, it happens to every side. So it's not like an individual problem. But yeah, I don't know what you think, Coxie. A little bit of venting on a Monday often, morning. Um, these are often things that, as you say, get your goat, and they're sort of say quite unique to you. But yeah, yeah, you know, things that have uh, wound you up. But you won't be alone in this one, John. This is this is very much sort of prime Premier League era beef with fans and spectators isn't it uh, you know commentators it's it's almost that it's a cliche now our keepers are overprotected by the way i agree entirely and they are but um i think unfortunately it's just become one of these things in football that we have to sadly accept really uh, yeah which is a pain in the backside and you're right you know they can come for corners and crosses with their knee at like head height can't they to to you know, inverted commas protect themselves. Yet, um, as you say, the slightest touch and they're on the deck and it's a foul. It's mm, perhaps it's something VAR could sort of help ease and eradicate. But uh, VAR doesn't seem to help much, does it? So yeah. it was annoying. But um, hey ho, didn't stop da- didn't stop David Button rising in the 95th minute to to claim his corner, did it? So. No, it didn't. Right there we go. That's a bit Monday morning invented anger off my chest. Now let's talk Albion. Let's talk transfers. Let's talk your questions. We'll start with commentary. That narrow one nil victory. Albion needed to get back to winning ways. They did, courtesy of Grady doing Ghana. Um, we're going to we're going to pick up on three points from that commentary game. We touched on an awful lot after the game 
we had quite a lengthy video. But three points I'm gonna gonna talk about. Lewis, we've got a question about this, so this will probably cover it in this section. Um, Jed Wallace started as a ten. We've seen him play up front or in that central position. I think he played central at Millwall earlier in the season and maybe another occasion as well. Um, I think I give him a seven out of ten on Friday. I think he did okay. We've seen better from Wallace. What do you think of what of Wallace in that ten? Is he do we, well? We've said we lose that sort of prowess out wide, but is it more? Is it worth losing that attack attacking threat out wide to play him in a ten or? Has Corbrand done it to accommodate both Albright and Ian Garner in that system? What What was your take on it? Yes, interesting one. This um, I'm not going to pretend I'm in a position to do a deep, deep tactical dive, but I see both sides. I think I, you know, Jed Wallace is a natural winger. It has been most of his career. I would I would say. Um, and this season, he's done it excellently from the right, hasn't he? And, you know, there's clearly no doubt that's his natural position. One that he's pretty devastating from. Can't think of many natural, better natural crosses of the ball. I think he's excellent. Um, so, on the basis of that, you know, you think playing him as a 10, mm, don't know if I'm feeling it. You know, you, why take one of the better natural players out, out of their role? However, um, I think it worked the other night. I, I personally do. He's played in he's played in it quite a bit recently, hasn't he? Uh, was it Bristol City, perhaps, and and Burnley before it as well? Um, didn't so much work in those, I would say. But I thought it worked. I thought it. Bless you, Johnny. Cheers, mate. I thought it worked. It's this cold weather. I thought it worked on Friday, and um, I don't. I, you know, I don't think it just worked on Friday because Coventry are a bad team because they're not. They're they're a very decent team, aren't they? And I think the reasons it worked and can work is in part because of Wallace's energy and hard running. He will make those runs from deep and he'll either make them in support of DK or Thomas Asante or he'll make them and he'll end up on the flank anyway, overlapping, underlapping, in a position to cross anyway. His crossing's his best asset. His running and energy is his net, you know, is, is a close second. Um, so I, I think in playing centrally, it, it doesn't necessarily limit all that much the crossing um i think it's still you know his running can still get him into positions to, to to deliver um i mean how many shots did he have the other day i can think of a couple that went over a couple that were blocked just in front of the goal so he hasn't scored too many this season as he wallace but i think in that 10 with that running off the that third man running he's going to get into goal scoring positions as well which could be a benefit and obviously it's happened as you say to accommodate all brighton who himself brings you know, stacks of, of quality with that delivery from wide and you know, in a slightly different, I suppose, style to, to Wallace, the fact all bright. And we were saying the other night, weren't we, can go both ways. I'm quite encouraged and excited by Wallace in this central role. Um, I am. It's, it's, you know, clearly there are options. John Swift would normally play it, totally different player. And, you know, Dean Garner and all Brighton are not going to be able to play every game keep starting so we're going to see Wallace go back out wide and I think it's a nice option to have really and I, and I think it worked the other day and I see why it worked and I think it can continue working but I do understand why some fans have trouble with it and trouble accepting it because he's been excellent from his natural position but you know Albrighton isn't coming to sit on the bench every week has he so uh got to find ways of accommodating no you certainly have just on another point we'll talk about another number 10 
um, and another player, really. Tom Rogic found himself out of the squad on Friday, as did Taylor Gardner-Hickman. I think Taylor Gardner-Hickman, I, I imagine they were both at the game. I saw a video with Taylor Gardner-Hickman, um, who I think was uh, was in the sort of bowels of, of the Hawthorne, so he was at the game. But um, Carlos Corbrand said in his post-match interview, obviously, you, can, you know, you can't pick everyone. Um, and given they've, they've signed two players now, that sort of means there's going to be a couple missing out because Albright and Chalibur are certainly going to be, if, if not in the lineups, they're going to be in certainly every matchday squad when they're fit. Um, just we'll start on Rogic. He's gone from sort of hero to zero, you know, that beautiful goal at Sunderland. And now, you know, it shows the fickleness of, of football fans that, you know, he's some fans wanted him to leave in January, um, which I thought was a little bit too far. And, and we can understand it. He's put in some poor displays. Um, you know, people criticising Scottish. Anytime a Scottish footballer comes to England and does badly, people who criticise Scottish football saying he can't do it in England. But I think there's still a place for him in the Albion squad. But you know, it's going to be difficult to see him getting back in now, especially with Wallace in that ten. Swift can yeah. play in there, can't he as well? Um, it's going to be after, difficult. After what we just said uh, regards Wallace being central there, yeah, um, yeah, Rogic is one further down the pecking order, isn't he? He was already behind Swift. Swifts. Improved, I would say, under Corbran in the last couple of months. Um, and you're right, he was asked. And you know, the head coach just said, I can only select so many and I've got this many. People are going to have to miss out before January. It was Livermore missing out, wasn't it? And um, and Martin Kelly, who obviously moved on, uh, among others, missing out at times. But now the two extra places, I mean, Kelly's gone, I take that. But two extra places in, in Chalabar and Old Brighton and Decisions to make, really. Decisions to make. And he did sort of caveat it by saying that I've got Swift on the bench, who's a 10. Felt I didn't need another 10 on the bench. And he, he said, you know, it would have been hard on Swift or Rogic to miss out. And it would have been the right or the wrong call on Swift and Rogic to miss out. And I, I know what he's saying, but look, we know Rogic is a that step down the pecking order and that's just the way it is. But injuries, availability, suspensions will happen, won't they? And they'll come back. Into into sort of contention. Gardner Hickman, I suppose, has dropped a rung on the centre midfield pecking order with Chalaba. Um, we saw him come on from the bench the other day, didn't we, Chalaba? And I thought he looked quite good, considering he's not played a lot. It's quite encouraged, but uh, yeah, shame. And I, I suppose a slight concern from a Taylor Gardner Hickman perspective. Um, obviously, in my first season in this role, seeing him when he has played, I've been in. You know, I've, I've been quite impressed in spells. Um, he's clearly a certain type of midfield player, technically outstanding, passer of the ball, you know, seen few few better really, but perhaps that's a strength where other parts of his games aren't and Corbran might be looking at things slightly differently. But I, I have no doubts that Corbran would be happy enough to call on Garden Hickman if and when required, if and when numbers sort of demand it. But... At the moment, it looks like he's where he is in the pecking order. I mean, he's certainly further ahead in the pecking order than the club captain, Jake Livermore, isn't he? Which is another conversation. But uh, yeah, it it looks with the arrival of Chalibur like it could be seeing a slightly different dynamic from the Albion midfield when it comes to, to changes, perhaps. Obviously, Yukuzlu yeah. and Malumbi are very much in that role at the moment, aren't they? And deservedly so. But, um, you know, it's, it's going to need depth and it's going to need competition as the, as the season continues, isn't it? Yeah, Taylor Gardner-Hickman was the other one out of that out of the squad. Where does the future lie for for Gardner-Hickman, Lewis? He's still young, um, and I know there's a lot of clamour for Gardner-Hickman to play, and there's no doubt he's a he's a very talented player. Um, 
Now, Carlos Corbrandt had come in and said his position wasn't a right-back. Steve Bruce used him predominantly at right-back when he played. Um, but I think that's the only opportunity Corbrandt's really had to play him, sort of certainly in cup games. Um, he's put, When he's played in centre midfield, he's, he's done well. Um, but I think I think it's a difficult one for Garden Hitman. And I think there's a lot more pre- Albion fans have put pre- more pressure on him than, than maybe he sort of warrants. You know, last season, he put in a few sparkling displays in midfield in in an otherwise dour season for Albion. And I think that might be, have sort of gone against him a little bit. He's still quite young. You know, he only made his debut, I think, earlier last season. I think he played yeah. in the in the, in the in the the heavy loss to Arsenal in the League Cup where Valerian Ishmael made all the changes. Um, it's one that's got me thinking, you know, if Albion don't go up, you'd like to think they, tr- they try and keep hold of him. An awful lot of players. If they don't go up, maybe he will get his chance at Albion. If Albion do go up, is it a case we may see Gardner Hickman maybe on sort of a championship loan or to go out and get minutes? Because I think fans forget how young he is. Because even though he hasn't been, it's a strange one. He hasn't been around for an awful long time. But I think because he's been in the first team squad now for well over a year, sort of fans associated him with being sort of a regular yeah. first teamer, which think, is maybe goes against him a little bit. I think he's got a future at the club. I do, um, and and I and you know, and I don't I don't think he's in and around the first choice at the minute. I think he can have both things. Like you say, he's young. Um, yeah, I guess him next season depends on what division Albion are in. Like many of the players, as you just said, if Albion go up, I mean their midfield is looking strong in some departments. You could argue they've got a couple of Premier League ready midfielders, perhaps, but would need strengthening in that department where would that leave Garden Hickman like I think Garden Hickman's technical levels are you know can be top flight level that's how yeah. good he is at spreading the ball and stuff like that's his game um then there's questions on the other side of it the physical side of it and you're right to mention perhaps a championship loan could could be very very good for him in that scenario but if Albion don't go up we you know which of course there's possibilities of um could be a big big player and, and force his way into the into the fold at some point in the future. Right. So yeah, you're right, Johnny, in that you know, this is an academy graduate, yeah, very rightly, very highly thought of. And your fans want him to do well, of course, because he's one of their own. Um and I, if if he was called on in the here and now, if there's a couple of you know injury or suspension, I have no doubt he'd he'd serve Albion well. I do. I think Corbrand could work work well with him. But you know, at the moment, he's where he's in the pecking order, I think. Um, I don't think that means he should be moved on or ready to move on. Let's say, you know, Jake Livermore's further down the, uh, the the pile, isn't he? So, you know, obviously with Livermore's future to be sorted out, you'd imagine at the end of the season with him moving on, if that's how it goes. And I think there's a lot of future, you know, a big future for Gardner Hickman at the club. And it's just, it's just finding out it's just finding out how it will go for him, how it will, in in what guise, whether he's a first choice next season. Again, as I say, it's division dependent, I would say, or whether he has to have a loan or if Albion stay in the champ, I think he could make a real mark. Um, I've seen him have good games at times this at times this season. I think under Richard Beal, uh, particularly, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think there's a lot to come from him down the line. Yeah, I think he has got a future at the club, you know. And like we said, there's a, a 
but I think there's a bit more added pressure on him. Talking about yeah, pressure. Get too dramatic, at no. given his age and uh, you know still relative inexperience as a pro. Yeah, talking about pressure, David Button certainly felt the pressure in them final few minutes against Coventry. Alex Palmer ruled out for six weeks with a training ground injury. So Button is the number one again now for the foreseeable future. Um, when it was announced before the game against Coventry, he was getting battered on social media um, due to lazy down to his, his poor form earlier in the season. Um, but he answered his critics well. He didn't have an awful lot to do against Coventry, but what he did, he did it really well. Um, kept kept Coventry at bay at the end. And, you know, we've seen the videos of that that grab from a from a corner and the Albion fans rushing to uh, David Button. Uh, just, I was just delighted for him, Coxie. I put a tweet out before the game. I've seen all these comments and and we know what Twitter is like. We'll probably come on to it in the questions because you've had a few questions about Button, but we know what social media is like. I was just, I was, I think I tweeted, I hope he has a wieldy tonight and I sort of comment tweeted it after the game. Um, and he didn't have a wieldy because he, you know, he wasn't diving around making saves because he didn't have to, but he did what he did well. I thought on the, I, I thought with his feet, I thought he was pretty comfortable as well. Um, hopefully he can just continue that now because that's what Albion needs and that's what he needs really. And it shows how delighted the Albion players were that the reaction at the final whistle. Yeah, definitely. It was, um, it felt like the story of the night, I think, the goalkeeper situation. Um, we were, uh, we were tucking into a bit of leaving do food, weren't we, for a press box colleague, uh, sort of middle of the afternoon and rumours started to emerge regards to potential injury then there was suggestion it would be would be Alex Palmer and we'd sort of heard that that was the case but you know it's not as bad as feared it, it might not be the season and it was it was Palmer missing button button involved um a lot of concern from fans obviously he's had difficult times earlier this season button and it's probably you know it was right that he came out the side and Palmer got his chance and obviously ran with it uh very unfortunate for Palmer to pick up that in yeah, to, to to sort of pick up that injury in in warm up early in training innocuous it sounded like and set back six or seven weeks so so button comes in and, and yeah you just hope almost on a human perspective but certainly from an Albion point of view that he can have a good night that he can try and get a clean sheet under his under his belt to give him some confidence and inspire some belief in the fans in him and uh, you're right he, his goal wasn't peppered was it he, he made one good parried save I remember from a free kick possibly from Hamer um, but really the thing that impressed me was the way he used the ball um, Corbrand highlighted this as well it was so important he his decisions with it short pass slightly longer pass the spot on every time so whether that's been worked on or something I'm not sure but it, it really you know it really went well for him and Albin worked it from the back more often than not very well there's once in the second half I can recall Peters I think losing it but that side, it was excellent. And Button's behind, big part of that. He has to set it, start it, you know, be vocal, tell defenders, man on and stuff like that. So really pleased for him. And that that moment at the end when he claimed the corner and and then it was full time and the players just mobbed him. Mm. I thought it was class. Yeah. I was like, yeah, just a little sort of snapshot insight into the dynamic and mood of a, of a dressing room when things are going well. Anyway, and, you know, Corbrand said, David Button's teammates have suffered seeing him suffer and um, I thought it was quite a nice way to put it and it, it can't have been easy for him uh, watch, watching Palmer come in and, and fly but uh, Button's had his sort of moment and he's got another month and a half at least between the sticks you would say 
and and who knows, you know, he he might go on a you know hopefully from an Albion point of view he goes on a, a run of clean sheets and he's excellent. And as Dara O'Shea said to the radio um, to the uh, after the game on Friday night, it's it's button shirt to lose again now. If yeah. Button goes on a run of excellent performances, then yeah, he will be considered first choice again. That's how it works. But uh, you know, good luck to him. And yeah, I hope he does well. It's a case of I was thinking about this last night when we were getting questions coming in, and I was. I was actually um, just flicking through and, and reading them. And it's a case that I don't think there would have been as much. And don't get me wrong, David Butler's poor was for, form was poor earlier in the season. We had that stat that we conceded sort of X amount of goals from X amount of shots. And, and Steve Bruce ultimately made the decision to bring in Alex Palmer. But if if this was like 20, 25 years ago, then there wouldn't be as much maybe pressure on Button or or, or sort of flack. Because if you take away social media then aside from maybe us asking questions in a press conference about his form to the manager the only other chat about it is going to be in a pub for example where like fans are sitting around going oh i'm not i'm not having that button no he's terrible and all this and you know saying a few more nastier things but i think when that transpires onto social media it becomes it comes into the public domain doesn't it and and, and people see it and i'm sure button sees it and i'm sure players see it as well um you know, rightly or wrongly, that's the pitfalls of social media. But um, really happy for him that he's sort of partly answered his critics with that performance on Friday. And hopefully, like we say, he goes on and mm. and tries to keep the number one jersey out of uh, Palmer's hands. Yeah, the test is consistency, isn't it? And um, yeah, he's passed the first test Friday night. Yeah, David Button's had good games for Albion, and he had another one on Friday. And hope it hope it continues. He, you know, clearly have to improve the levels of earlier in the season, um, but. You wouldn't say it was beyond him. He's now playing in a conf, you know, behind a confident side who are not conceding certainly at home. And uh, yeah, good luck to him if if he does well. It suits Albion, doesn't it? Yeah. Just on uh, another point, there was a video that Albion played last night, and it showed Button entering the dressing room and the, and the players being delighted for him and just delighted with the result in general. But it also showed um, one of Corbrand's coaches, Michael Heffalo, who came in um, after the season had started, after another one of Corbrand's coaches, or after Corbrand's reign had started shall I say, one of Corbrand's coaches left, Heffler, the former Huddersfield defender and, and coach, um, just sort of high-fiving, having a laugh with all the players coming up the tunnel. And I put out on social media last night that I've sort of watched Heffler in a few of the warm-ups. Uh, Bennett Luton was one. And how much he sort of interacts with the players and gets on with the players, and I'm sure all the coaching staff do. But he seems to have brought sort of a new, something something extra into court. You know, Corbrand's coaching staff are already doing wonders, but he seems to be a bubbly character around the place, this Heffler, and he seems to be making a real impact. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. I've noticed, you know, without having the chance to really um, sort of speak with him, yeah, I've certainly noticed his presence and character around. Um, big, larger-than-life character, it seems. Yeah. Big big guy, isn't he? Former defender. Um, seems to have a, a good bit of wit on him. Um, yeah, and he seems to have made a, a, a big mark, I think. Was he player coach with Corbin at Huddersfield or part of his staff or just a player? Yeah, possibly. Would have been an experienced, certainly an experienced head. I think he played for Terriers in the Premier League, I'm pretty sure, didn't he? Um, yeah, can only... There was an early change, wasn't there, in Corbin's staff? Um, I'll come back to me, but one of the staff he brought to... Uh, I'll come back to me on this, but one of the staff he brought to the club upon his arrival in October left. I think personal reasons were cited. 
Um, and yeah, they, they, they moved for Heffler, obviously someone the head coach knew well, and it, it seems to have worked wonders. I mean, it's can't put that on the new coach, but you're right, the, the character and sort of energy he appears to have brought to things behind the scenes uh, looks to have made its mark because we were already seeing signs, you yeah. know, video in person at the training ground at Hawthorne, so he's a larger-than-life character, and I think sometimes you need those, don't you? Sometimes you need those, and he's he knows the English game, played in the Prem, played in the Championship. He he can have a lot to bring to the to the dressing room, I would say, as almost like a bit of an a interlink between the the dressing room and the coaching staff. And he he knows where these players have been, what they're feeling. So I think he can be be very valuable, actually. Yeah, he seems to have uh, certainly made an impact. Right, briefly on the transfer window, we talked a lot about it last week. Uh, two in. Nathan, uh, sorry, Nathaniel Talibur and Mark Albrighton came in on deadline day. We'll talk about the one that Albion missed out on later uh, in the conversation. Albrighton's already made his mark, and so has Chalibur Lewis. These two players, I'm not going to say they're going to be the difference between staying down and going up, but certainly in Albrighton's case, he could well be, really. He could be one of them players who could make a significant difference to the outcome of Albion's season. Yeah, um, Jaime Monroy was Albion's uh, member of staff. Yes, arrived with Corbran, who left after a few weeks. Yeah, just uh, name name slipped my mind, but yeah, that was him. Who who was replaced by Heffalet? Yeah, on on the recruits, Johnny. Um, very impressed, very, very impressed with with what I saw in in their debuts. Obviously, you know, one from the off and one from the bench. Slightly different to uh, slightly different to gauge, I suppose. But Albrighton was. Uh, was electric from the off, wasn't he? Uh, electric. His first, his first half, as as a whole, tired after the break. You know, perhaps understandably, as he as he gets up to speed, it was a very intense game. But but from the off, he was absolutely superb on that right. As I touched on earlier with Wallace, um, all right, and he can go either way. His first ball in, which which DK should have scored from in in five minutes, with cross of his left foot was was a peach on the money. You know, you know, he's not going to just take it out on the right and be a bit more predictable at times. He can do both. He's hard graft. Um, yeah, I just thought it was classic. There's a lot of love for him, weren't there, from, from the stands on online. Um, and a lot of chat about Baggies fans falling in love with lone players, which um, which they should know better than. But, you know, here we are. You know, if, you get, if you're getting good lone players in, then you're going to fall in love with them, aren't you? That's just how it goes, unfortunately. And... Um, and finally, a lone player to talk of because how 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 many times on this podcast this season have we said how odd it is that there isn't a lone player at the club this season? And, yeah. And and the one that comes in is that thirty three year old Premier League winner, FA Cup winner. It's a bit out of the norm, isn't it? You usually get them at the start of their careers, but uh, we had the, the great opportunity to interview Mark Albrighton on um, Thursday afternoon before the game, and he was uh, I mean what an impressive individual. He's got a reputation of one of the the top guys in football and he, he was superb and uh, I think I saw in that interview and fans saw on the pitch there's a, a hell of a lot of life in uh, in, in those legs yet uh, and what he can deliver certainly in this division and I dare say if Albin were to get up then perhaps something could happen there but um, yeah he's, he's going to play a massive role isn't he and uh, I'm sure we'll get onto him but I thought Chalaba was very good too. He was indeed. The one that Albion missed out on was Amari Hutchinson. Uh, now, that link to the Chelsea youngster came quite late in the day, really, but I'd say probably around sort of tea time, six, six seven o'clock. 
Um, and it looked like Albion were going to get a, th- a third signing in, youngster, teenager from Chelsea. I think Arsenal paid £3 million for Hutchinson only a couple of years ago or a year ago. Um, until very late in the day, it looked like that one was going to go ahead. But it was dependent on Carl and Grant then going to Swansea. Um, Russell Martin's side wanted, wanted him. Chelsea's Albion's deal with Chelsea for Hutchinson fell through. So then the Grant deal fell through. And I'm sure... Championship fans and AFL fans have seen the fallout of Swansea from that failed deal. Uh, we haven't heard an awful lot about why the Hutchinson deal fell through, but reading between the lines, Lewis, a lot of Albion fans, quite rightly after the summer window, were maybe questioning if it was Albion's doing, but I don't think that was was the case. Reading what happened with Chelsea and other deals, it sounds like the snag was at the Chelsea end regarding that. that yeah, we, we weren't given... Um chapter and verse and why it didn't happen but as I sort of tweeted I think after the window shut there are probably 105 million reasons why Chelsea weren't focusing on Amari Hutchinson and were probably focusing elsewhere um I mean perhaps you know just just page a Hakim Ziyech and uh, and PSG and ask him what what he thinks about Chelsea's late dealings in the window um yeah they they clearly add big fish to fry and a list of priorities to get sorted. Um, the detail that you read about the, the PSG situation with ZH and how he was he was there ready to sign and it didn't happen. Look, sometimes there can be oversights, human error, and these things happen, but but clearly there were a lot of gremlins in Chelsea's uh, system with, with that ZH deal. And, and he and Hutchinson weren't the only moves to break down either, whether I think there was another one um, yeah, it was, third, it? was it Huddersfield? It was a young, yeah, it was another young loan. Yeah, um, look, I mean, you know, they they were they were working a, a British record deal, weren't they? In the, in the last seconds, I don't doubt that that's not easy to do, but it doesn't make it any easier for Albion fans to swallow, does it? The fact that you know Albion fans thought they were getting one of the top young wingers in the in the country, um, a lot of promise, but didn't get over the line. Look. I can't say I've heard much of Amari Hutchinson before this link, but having done a bit of research on him in the time, it sounded like a very exciting addition. But Carlos Coburn got the one winger to replace Matty Phillips that he, he wanted at least. So I suppose Hutchinson would have been a, a bonus on top of that, but wasn't to be. And uh, and then obviously we had the, the Carlin Grant situation on, on the back of that, which... We spoke about I mean, Grant It was quite the finale, wasn't it, Johnny? I remember us yeah. doing one of our final video well it was a video before well before the 11 deadline that then became the sort of midnight episode didn't it but um we, we were looking at the not sure if the grant swansea thing had emerged actually but we spoke on last week's podcast i remember and said you know can can grant there'd already been sort of tentative loan links with grant and there and we sort of said well can i be afford to let grant go Unless another comes in, uh, I, I couldn't quite see it, I don't think. Now, another did come in in the shape of Albrighton, but it, obviously Albrighton was the Phillips replacement and a, a very sort of similar like-for-like. And it turned out Albion couldn't afford to let Grant go without another in, which I think says says quite a bit about Grant's importance and, and influence. Look, obviously Carlos Corbran was, was happy to allow Grant out if he got another one in. Yeah, we, we heard Corbran address it in his in his pre-match press conference when he actually sort of touched on the fact that he was, you know, he seemed to say he was, well, he, he was pleased that Grant didn't go out, which, um, you know, I mean, how, how much you can read into that, I'm not entirely sure. He, he's obviously happy to sanction it, but 
yeah, Grant has the record he has, doesn't he? And uh, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that he can be effective between now and the end of the season if Albin need a goal and he's chucked on late in a game um, to, to make an impact. So, yeah, um, not a surprise to see that he would have been allowed out had another one come in. A little bit of a shame, I suppose, for all parties that it wasn't allowed to happen because I know Hutchinson was a, an exciting target. But, um, yeah, I suppose we can't have them all, can we? And uh, a couple through the door on deadline day was uh, kept us busy enough. It did, yeah, it kept us busy. Just on Grant, we spoke about him a lot last week, didn't we? You know, future of the club, where does his future lie? Does this, you know, the fact that he was he was on the verge of, of going to Swansea, does that almost say that, you know, his future plans, he doesn't really lie? And I, I know Corbrand said that, he's come back, and but mm. does he not lie in Corbrand's future plans? Is his Albion days long-term numbered? Possibly, but not necessarily just because he was allowed out on loan. Now, he's got you got time left on this deal, hasn't he? It's not like he's up this summer or even next, I don't believe. Um, although I'd have to check that off the top of my head. Um, so just because, you know, a, a six-month loan or, or whatever it would have been was sanctioned, it just doesn't mean he can't come back at the Hawthorns from that. Um, would take a series of events for that to happen. You know, if, if Albion go up to the same as someone they want to take into the Premier League with them, you know, to be confirmed, there'd be a lot of championship interest, would there? You know, if they if they stay down in the division, do they see him as a, a an asset to score the goals in the second tier? Possibly. Twenty twenty six, his contract expires. So twenty six, yeah, I thought it was. Years. So he's he's not even up in. Well, he's got ages, hasn't he? Absolutely ages. So I've been in a sort of. I was going to say a strong financial position with him, but obviously a position where he would, uh, you know, command a, a fee, whatever whatever clubs are willing to offer. Um, yeah, and I, I don't think the fact that Corbran had looked at a loan for the rest of the season being best for him, I don't think that means he's certainly not got a future at the club. I think it, it could um, unravel that he does. You know, circumstances if if they drop his way, but um, no, yeah, no no secret that that Corbran was happy to to allow that loan to happen, which means he wasn't really near the top of his plans for this season. And uh, let's see how it goes. I'd, he, yeah, he's clearly not near the, the top of the pecking order with all the wingers we've touched on. With, yeah, yeah, very, very different option to Adam Reach, isn't there? But, you know, who, what would Corbran turn to a Grant or an Adam Reach to start in that left wing role? I, I suppose it depends on the game, but that's just an example, isn't it, of, of where he is in the pecking order. But, there's, he can pop up with a goal, can't he, Grant? We know that. And uh, so I feel like he will play a part. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see between now and the end of the season. Uh, one more little bit of news chat before we bring in advert, bring questions, and then we wrap up today's podcast. Um, when a Premier League club is in turmoil this season, they seem to look in the direction of the Hawthorns and in particular in the direction of Carlos Corbahan. Um Leeds United manager Jesse Marsh seems to be on the brink um, as they sort of struggle to avoid relegation back to the championship. Now, Corbran is well regarded at Leeds, cut his teeth with Marcelo Bielsa as his number two or first team coach. And it seems like the the easy Corbran links have been made yet again. Now, obviously, there'll be no contact because Marsh is yet to be sacked. But it's unsurprising, Lewis, that people put two and two together. Um, and come to these conclusions, but 
for me, I had a Leeds fan message me last night on this, and I said he's going nowhere. I don't think he will go any go anywhere. I, I think if Albion don't go up, he might go in the summer. If they go up, I don't think he'll go in the summer. I think he'll be here for a few more years yet, but I can't see him jumping now with however many games left to go. No, I uh, even though it even though it is Leeds, I would yeah the Leeds. It's sort of semi lazy to say, isn't it? But the Leeds thing is obvious, and while Leeds struggle and continue to struggle, and if and when Marsh is, you know, sacked. Um, at Ellen Road, then that that talks and that rumor mill will will intensify. Um, so far, at the moment, reports we've seen, I'd take with a um, with a pinch of salt. I would um, sort of just read into them as, as speculation, as almost two and two equals. Um, I think it's just using the head coach's background on it. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, Johnny. I I wouldn't um, I wouldn't be too concerned at the moment if I was if I was Albion fan. I don't see a situation at the moment where he'll be um, looking for the exit door anytime soon. Think he's got something to achieve here. Uh, yes, you're right. Reassessing the summer, absolutely. Um, don't get me wrong. If Leeds, you know, if Leeds sack Jesse March after their next game, I think they've got United next. I think I saw. Um, yeah, if they then sort of formalise their offer with an official approach or whatever. Obviously that there's could become a you know, links would intensify, wouldn't there? And then there's there's perhaps a lot more to say in terms of Albion um defending their position and not wanting to lose their sort of prized asset mm. as head coach. But um I'm sure they would stand firm. No, I'm I'm sure I'm sure that I'd, like I said about Everton Everton and West Ham, to be honest, Johnny, I'm sure it's an attractive prospect for a, a young up and coming head coach. Any Premier League job is, but um, big old job on there to keep them up this season, isn't there? I'm not saying that it wouldn't be attractive, but like I say, I think Corbyn's a very to echo something Ron Gawley like said quite recently, actually, very committed and um, sort of respectful, honourable man, and talked uh, about integrity and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, integrity is another word. Yeah, and I see the um, I, I see him seeing through the job this season, and let, let's see where the summer leaves Albion. Yeah, Leeds back off. I know you love Corbrand, but we love him more. He's staying where he is. Uh, time for an advert. This podcast, as always, is brought to you in association with the Kettle and Toaster Man, where you can get all your household items under one roof. Today, we're talking about double heated electric under blankets. Now, as we, me and Cox have said, we've got our we've got our hoods up. Um, it's frosty outside, although the sun is now out. Um, you can get a warm, light, double-heated electric under-blanket for just £15. Now, imagine working at home. It's cold in the day. You don't want to put the heating on. Stick that on for a little while. Warm yourself up. Warm the person, not the room. That's what they keep telling everyone on these little sort of Martin Lewis and all his, his cronies keep telling you on your, your money saving stuff. Um, so get yourself, get your hand on, on one of them or a load of other heating products are available. Um, you can go to Thorns Road in Briley Hill if you want to go in and have a look at the stock or you can head to the thecatlandtoasterman.co.uk. Right, time for some questions. Um, we've answered a couple already, um, but we'll we'll go through the others. Um, question is a simple one. Should BTA now be starting over DK? DK seems to have gone off the boil recently. Plenty of effort and not a huge amount of goal threat. BTA looks more menacing at the moment, I would say. Um, what do you think on that, Lewis? Um, I would personally continue with a rotation policy in that role, I think. 
I get the question. I know there's a more than a few comments saying DK looked a little off the pace and sluggish on Friday. We've spoken about that, haven't we? And um, reasons as to why that might be. But I think it's been a while since Thomas Asante started, yeah. mostly because of the suspension. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if we saw him at St Andrews on Friday night. Um, but I think the best world for Albion is where they're rotated to keep them both fresh and energetic and hungry and using them off the bench. Both of them have benefits, don't they? Both of them bring something from the bench, something different. And I think to I think to rotate the choice is is the way to go, I really do. Um I don't know if you've got any more DK questions lined up, Johnny, but generally I'm not concerned by him. No. Um I think he's just still I, I would guess he's still feeling the effects of a hell of a lot of time out. Yeah, we have got another one here that just says we have to give DK time, but how long do we give him realistically? Now, I've been saying this consistently. You know, when I saw him the other day, he did look sluggish. And I think, you know, he's been out for so long. But yeah, he's come back and he scored goals and he should undoubtedly have scored one um, on, on Friday evening. But I think you've got to judge DK on next season. Now, I, I said to someone on Friday night, I said, needs another pre-season. And so I said, we've well, just had one. I said, well, he hasn't really, because the World Cup's not a pre-season. Like the World Cup break wasn't a pre-season. Yes, it was a chance to get on the grass, but it was certainly wouldn't have been as intense, I imagine, as pre-season. So I think, no. Deacon, I think we get another full pre-season. I think it's interesting. I think if DK wouldn't have got injured in the summer, I think we'd be by now we'd be seeing like tip-top championship DK scoring, scoring goals, you know, winning games for Albion. But that. He's had that extra injury, you know. He hasn't long come back. I think I think we've got to give this guy an awful lot of um, benefit of the doubt and room, given that Albion spent this money on him. You know, it's not like when Albion, you know, sort of Kenza Hall left last week, didn't he? You know, we've talked mm-hmm. about that already. You know, it's not like when he came in and pretty quickly after Slav Bullet signed Kennesaw, you could see there wasn't, Albion weren't going to get a player out of him. But DK there is, he's got all the assets. But because he's been held back by these injuries, I think we've just got to give him as much time as we as we need. Another um, thing about DK, Johnny, that's worth mentioning, he's very young, which you don't often think, do you? Because, no. of, because he's an absolute mountain of a man. He's younger than Thomas Sante by a good couple of years, I think, which, which also says a lot. Look, I know he played for Barnsley and did very well. But he's, you know, he's still in a new nation. Um, yeah, he's got the language, but he's still finding his feet after the big money move, um, which heaps sort of pressure and expectation on him. We've seen the goals he can score. We've seen what his game is about. Yes, at times he's looking off the pace at the moment, but we need to remember that if you're two, at least two, possibly three altogether, but at least two massive injuries. Um, so let's just hope he can continue slowly building. You know, it's it's... It's wrong, in my opinion, to expect too much too quickly. And uh, and like you said, Johnny, you made a good point about having a pre-season and look next season. And let's hope he can just continue where he can be an effective this season. And that's why I think the rotation with Thomas Sante is a bit of a no-brainer, really. Yes. Uh, and he's getting flat from Albion fans. But, you know, it's something we said before. Football fans, sections of football fans, small sections, I'd say, can be really fickle. They want success and they want it yesterday. And that's the case across society. People want stuff. They want it now. They want it yesterday. But, you know, you, you've got to give this guy time. Um, just on, we've had one question on 
on an off-field issue. Um, can we have an update on the money situation um, regarding Lai? Has he paid back his loan now? Um, we were told it to come back at the end of last year. Didn't. He released a statement saying early in the new year it was coming back. Now, we haven't heard anything from the club, Lewis, which is yes, that it hasn't been paid back. I'm sure this is one sort of, well, one we are keeping an eye on, but is it a case that it will be confirmed? You know, we, we knew last time it would be confirmed either way. Uh, is that going to be the case again when it gets paid back? You know, you'd have to say now we're on the 6th of February today. You know, that I mean, we're, yeah. still, we're, still um, in, we're still in early 2023. Uh, no, 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 yeah. But, you know, from, from what I um, from what I understand, it hasn't. And from what I understand, when it is, there'll be comms. So, um, so we'll know about it. And it's something we'll be able to address. Um, but you're very right. You know, we're, we're near, what, near the second week of Feb. And it still hasn't been. So that's, what's that, five weeks after that 31st of December deadline that was missed. Um, you know, a very vague deadline was given, wasn't it, as early into the new year? And it was obviously vague for a reason because, to, because you know, I, I suppose, and this is me just supposing out loud, the, the person making the promise, uh, you know, potentially didn't know exactly when that, you know when that deadline would be would be feasible or would happen, and you know, here we are five weeks later, and no no word yet, and no re- repayment. So frustration certainly from the supporters' perspective goes on, um, uncertainty goes on. Um, when we spoke with Ron Gourlay a little into the new year, following the uh, the short statement, there was still a sort of steadfast confidence that that it would arrive, but. You know, here we are getting into Feb, you know, well into February and it and it hasn't happened. So um so much frustration and, and anger uh, on on this on this subject from supporters, you know, rightly so and understandably so. And uh yeah, it's an it's an episode that shows no well sorry, an episode, a chapter in Lies Tenure that shows no sign of nearing an end yet. Mm. Back to the pitch, Dara O'Shea has been absolutely unbelievable in this past few weeks and is probably the only member of our current events who can consistently play Premier League level if we do go up. What do you think has been the biggest factor behind his improvement? Is it greater maturity, better fitness, coaching? What do you think? um, um, Perhaps a mixture of all three, perhaps. I think O'Shea has been... I think he's been quietly excellent. For, for much of the season, really, he's been, he's been excellent of late. I think he's had a quietly very good season overall. overall. I think a, a little bit of criticism came his way earlier in the campaign, didn't it? I think from some quarters um, when Arbin were, were desperately struggling in those those early months, I don't think he was by any means one of the the uh, biggest culprits. Um, he, he wasn't wasn't great by standards he set before, but don't, I don't think he was he was one of the poorer performers, um, but he's he's gone through the gears and hit hit excellent levels of late, hasn't he? I think I think making him captain, uh, Steve Bruce's decision was it was a shrewd move. I think it suits him down to the ground for someone who's just twenty three. He's an ever present, he's consistent. I asked Carlos Corbin about him after the game the other day. Actually, I've got that to write up this week, so I won't give too much away, but. You just know what you're going to get. Um, e- even if it's not going for him with or without the ball, you know what you're going to get in terms of his attitude and competitiveness. 
Um, and that's worth so much because it's not a given with all footballers, unfortunately. So, you know, every credit O'Shea, he's, he's been outstanding and, and continues to be. It feels like he's growing by the week, actually. And he, he played with so much confidence on Friday night. It, it was brilliant to see. Um, and what, what an asset he is for the club, to be honest. The games he plays for his age, international skipper, uh, centre-half for that age, yeah. Um, you know, he, he, and it's not, you know, he doesn't have that obvious six foot four, six foot five, six foot six frame that makes him commanding and dominant. He just reads the game, uses his body as, as, as physically well as he can, you know, largely very good with the ball. It's, it's all going for him at the moment. And, uh, yeah, what, what a partnership he's, he's managed to build with Eric Peters as well, by the way, which is an interesting point because Carl Bartley's seemingly very close to a return. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see just on the, the, um, so we can set it out. So we have a fully fit squad with everyone in top form. Who do you? Sorry, when we have a fully fit squad with everyone in top form, who do you think has? Who is your centre back pairing, and who would you pick as the four attackers? Um, centre mid and full backs are obvious choices. Uh, centre backs. Who are you going with centre back, Coxie? You got you got everyone fit. Ready? Well, um, uh, it's tricky. Um, I think I've said before that I'd. Well, I think I said last week, actually, I'd look to introduce Bartley uh, as soon as possible. I, I really would. And that's partly down to the impact he had when Corbyn came in and certainly what he brings in the opposition box as well as his own. But, I mean, if, Friday night against Carl, Eric Peters gave yet another example of why he doesn't deserve to come outside. Uh, yes, I've been there, sort of back-to-back defeats prior to that and things were... You know, it was a little wobbly and people were wondering if, you know, excellent start had come to an end, that sort of thing. But right back to, to where they were again, the defensive duo. And it's a it's a big question for Corbrand to answer, actually. You know, it comes with that caveat that Peters isn't a natural centre-half and, and he isn't. And, you know, you could play left-back and be good competition for Townsend. But how do you drop Peters at the moment with the defensive yeah. record under Corbrand? I it's really tough one to answer. Um, yeah, I don't know what my answer is, to be honest, Johnny. Um, I, I, there's a little bit of me that would lean towards putting Bartley straight back in, but Bartley's had a massive amount of time out. He's, he's, he's Bartley going to need a, a couple of substitute cameos to get back up to speed, that sort of thing. So, so let's see. I don't think you can chuck Bartley straight in from the off. I don't. Um, and I don't think Peters deserves to come outside either. No, four attackers, so two wingers, uh, your ten and your striker. Who, who you got? Everyone fully fit. Everyone standing in front of you. Who are you? Who are you oh. choosing for those positions? Wow. Um, don't oh, go well, sitting I'll, on the I'll, fence as much as you did on that last question. I'll just go off the. <laughs> well, well, I don't. I okay, yeah, maybe sit on the fence, Johnny. But it's a <laughs> excuse my French. A bloody hard question to answer. Like, it is. You know, Peter's Sir Raj Sh- 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 Sean sent that one in. That's a tough question. So um, you have to send an easy on one. On the front line, and, and to be honest, it, if I was to weigh up the strengths of all the attackers at the moment, despite the fact he was the match-winning hero with the goal on Friday, I think I'd be playing Wallace, Albrighton and Swift as my three behind probably Thomas Asante. Um, now, that's incredibly harsh on Dean Garner, who I thought was, was good on Friday. And obviously made the difference with the goal but just looking for that bit more consistency I suppose over 
over Dean Garner's, you know, over a number of games. Now, we've only saw all Brighton once, but it feels like we know what he can bring from from what he's done recently in the Premier League. So, so I'm just leaning towards that at the moment. But um, I'm happy to be proved wrong by Dean Garner, and I hope you know this is the start of an excellent run for him. Yeah, hopefully. Um, next question: What date are we going to catch Sheffield United in second? Just looking, <laughs> just looking at the fixtures. I'm going to go seventh of April. Love that question. Seventh of April. We'll come back to that one on the seventh of April. Um, when Albion are going to overtake Sheffield United. Well, I, I, in the I, yeah, I for one hope they're not caught on the final day at Swansea because I'm uh, other engaged yeah. that weekend, aren't I, Johnny? So I, I'm, I'm sadly not in South Wales there. And well, uh, how are you? Other, how are you other engaged? Tell the Albion listeners. Yes, um, Swansea away at South Wales on what is it Monday? Wales, Wales Monday May the sixth is it? I think yeah, um, like due to the coronation. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunately is my stag weekend in Germany. Um, Touchwood, all goes well. Um, I see you pull a face there, Johnny. Poor planning, <laughs> potentially. Uh, no, no, no. There's a story behind this. I think you looked at a few weekends, and the other ones were like the playoff final or the the playoff yeah, semi-final. Yeah, the so semis, you had to go yeah, for the yeah. you had to go for the less the least amount of risk. Yeah, no, so, no, no offense to Albion, but um, I'm hoping the the plan is I'm going to watch Dortmund. Um, so which I think is. Uh, yeah, to have that sort of rare opportunity to grasp, I'm, I'm hoping to do. Um, I'm very much hoping there's nothing on the line at Swansea, thank you very much. No leapfrogging of Sheffield United and no sort of automatic promotion ceiling final day. Um, and there was not a chance in hell, even for my stag, that I was going to miss a, a, a playoff date. So, uh, so yeah, because as we know, Albion are, uh, you know, I'm saying with some level of confidence that he's going to bite me on the backside, Albion are going to be in the playoffs. So, yeah. Although, don't, don't get me wrong, I look forward to Albion catching and overhauling Sheffield United. I really do, but just don't do it on the final day. Yeah. I'm going to ask two more questions because we're running out of time. There's a question here we'll ask straight away. Um, all Albion fans have asked if we can tell us anything about Birmingham Blues. I might, play, I might play having reporters covering Birmingham. The Express and Star actually doesn't have any reporters covering Birmingham. I don't think it has for quite a while. Um, so there's your, your answer to that one. Um, Dean Flukes has asked, Severe lack of pre-match food talk. Top three selection. I'm not going to go through top through, Dean. And reading that, I'm absolutely starving at the moment. I've had a, I haven't had any breakfast, so it's making me even hungrier. Um, but my best one this season will be Bristol City in the league away. Agreed. It's always better when you can serve yourself as well, because you can give yourself as much as you want. Agreed. Um, Agreed. And we're fortunate enough to have gone there, what, twice in a month. Boxing Day was an outstanding chicken curry number, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And um, a bit disappointed on FA Cup Day, but it was still good. I, I, good. I, I wasn't actually John. When we went recently to the FA Cup, chicken wings weren't there. Chicken yeah. wings and what pizza as well. And a bit messy, and, isn't they? Chicken wings. Just yeah, you don't, you don't really want to be eating chicken wings in a fresh, fresh room, do you? But I mean, I just thought, well. We're all in the same boat here. We're all going to be getting messy, so sod it, basically. Um, but the, even the chips there were were superb. Uh, I did I did actually give this question some thought because it uh, it, it you know it evokes a passion of mine in food. So um, I, I I would say Johnny Millwall was good. Thinking back, a fair while ago, wasn't it? Preston. I remember Preston being some some top notch grub. Um, so they get sort of honourable shouts, yeah. um, but. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Sunderland was okay, wasn't it? Uh, slightly odd. Was it fish? It was nah, Christmas weird. dinner. Was it? Yeah, Christmas dinner up at Sunderland. Um, Norwich was good. Not, but you expect that from Norwich, don't you? But um, 
Uh, and Burnley, uh, I was too full to eat at Burnley, wasn't I? So you ate at Burnley, didn't you? Yeah, Burnley was good. Chilly. Yeah, chilly. Very yeah, good. yeah. I'd, again, you'd expect that from Burnley, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd already eaten that that afternoon, annoyingly. Um, uh, but Bristol City takes on the crown from both you and I. Yeah, there we go. Just um, just and the Hawthorns, by the way, and Hawthorns. the Hawthorns, and the Hawthorns, yeah, and the Hawthorns. Um, question from Richard Downing: Action for Albion are doing a great job, but do you get the impression that as long as the team are winning, some supporters are not worried about the future of the club and turning a blind eye to off-field issues? Now, I read this last night. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think yes. If Albion were losing like six on the bounce, we'd probably see maybe more sort of protests outside maybe the ground and, and a little bit more animosity in the ground. But I think the the light shows have been fantastic. I think on Friday it was arguably the best one. Um, and the atmosphere was really loud. You know, the anti-lie chants as well, people getting involved. Um, so I don't think people are necessarily turning a blind eye. I think now that we have had the, the chief executive come out and explain things a little bit better, I've still seen some fans on on Twitter thinking that this £20 million loan is to get us to the end of the season. It's not. Um, just, it's not great. We all we all know the situation is not great. It's not perfect and it's far from perfect, in fact. Um, but I think, you know, I think I spoke to someone from Action for Albion on Friday after the game. There's another meet. They've got another meeting with Ron Gourlay in a few weeks. Um, and that dialogue has opened up now. So it's, I think the answers are there as far as what can be said at the moment. But the action will continue. And I think most of the fans are, Certainly on board with it. I'm going to finish on one question because we are getting pushed for time. One question on Carlos Corbran. Um, without wanting to be a doom monger here, if we don't get promoted, surely Corbran will be tempted by a bigger job. We've said that. Um, that might be the case. Therefore, should we already be considering his replacement should that happen? Do you think there might be a little a few murmurings in the background, Lewis? You know, knowing that Corbran is, as someone described him the other day, Albion's biggest asset at the moment. You know, will yeah, those higher up in the club be thinking, right, look, if this guy goes, you know, even though I think he'll stay, maybe looking if he goes before the end of the season, if someone leads come and get him, or even in the summer, do you think they'll be looking now, thinking just oh he might be available, or or where they 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 look going forward? Um, yeah, not necessarily I think, thinking it's going to happen, but I think you know, decision makers at football clubs, certainly those involved, you know, you like sort of a a Gourlay and not not sort of absent owners, uh, but those who, who who make the call calls. Um, I think they're, they're they're always aware. There's always talking football director boxes. Um, they know who's hot. They know who's not. They know who's available. They know who's not. They know who's out of work. Who might be out of work soon. Who's coming near to the end of their contract. Um, I think there are always, regardless of who's in charge, regardless of how that's going. I think there are always you know, irons in the fire is maybe too strong, but certainly. Um, ideas on the back burner sort of swirling as a you know as, as as a next option as a as a next resort you you never know in football do you You could all of a sudden have a terrible run you could have a great run and lose your manager quite easily so i think there always needs to be a, a backup of what's next um not saying that it's definitely going to be him but i think there's you know possibly always a you know a short list but a list of possibles a list of option a b c and d um so i wouldn't be too concerned that albin will be caught cold if uh say the unthinkable if the worst case scenario happens regards corbran um i'd like to think they'll be you know reasonably well prepared and that the club are not daft are they they know these links are coming out left right and center and obviously it means their head coach is doing well 
they they knew when they appointed him they had a very good asset and uh, hopefully he remains a very good asset for a while to come. Hopefully he does indeed. We're going to do no more than a minute on this because I've, mm-hmm. I've ran over. I actually had a day off today and I've got a meeting in like seven minutes. Um, <laughs> so uh, Birmingham, Birmingham Friday, um, big game, tough game, isn't it? Tough game. Birmingham had a really good win the other day. They've had some bad form recently, but you've got to be going there. I'm going to ask you, not specifically about Birmingham, but it's Birmingham and Blackburn. Six points from them, Coxie. Does that make you confident of the playoffs if they get six points from those two games? Yes. Um, yeah, I'm confident of the playoffs anyway. I certainly would be with six points from those two. Blackburn's a massive one, isn't it? I think, as you say, Birmingham been struggling. Fancy Albion, to be honest. Be good to go and win away. We know how good Albion have been at home. Blackburn's, they play tonight, don't they, Blackburn, actually, against Wigan. But Blackburn at the Hawthorns on, uh, on is it Wednesday night, is, uh, is quickly becoming a, a very big game, isn't it? So, yeah, big old one at home next time. And hopefully that, that uh, record of not conceding continues. Hopefully it does indeed. There you go, Baggies fans. From bottom to in the playoffs now, teams have got the odd game in hand, but Carlos's charge is continuing. And if things carry on like this, it is going to be some end to the campaign. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll see some of you at St Andrews on Friday. And from me and Coxie, until next time, boing, boing. Boing.